0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the 8-Dose Business Optimization Podcast. I'm your host, Jason St. Clair. We're going to do an interview with Jobs, Steve Jobs, back in 1990. So It was like a lost interview. It's a little clips. I'm going to break it up into two parts because it's kind of long. It's about a half hour long. If you guys enjoy these podcasts, please hit that subscribe button. Thanks. A few questions.
1: Is this out of the picture if I put it here? Great. Yeah.
0: What we're hoping to do in this whole series is look at this technology. Why is a computer so interesting? So I'm going to start that way. Okay. So what is, what's different about this machine? Excuse me, I have one, one quick request. Yep. And that is, don't throw your fingers in front of that mic because that's, that's what I'm picking you
1: up. Alright, you're on. Journey.
0: <laughs> By the way, the next time uh, when you do an interview at the factory, that place that we found, mm-hmm. probably the best location. Uh, we found a way to boost you up enough uh-huh. so you're over the rail, uh-huh. and you can see the, the, the two-armed robot. Yeah, great. So nice shot. Hey. We have speed? Speed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What is it about this machine? Why is this machine so interesting? Why has it been so influential? Uh, um,
1: I'll give you my point of view on it. Uh, I remember reading a magazine article a long time ago uh, when I was uh, 12 years old maybe. In I think it was Scientific American, I'm not sure. And the article um, proposed to measure the efficiency of locomotion for uh, lots of species on planet Earth to see which species was the most efficient at getting from point A to point B. Uh, And they measured the kilocalories that each one expended. So uh, they ranked them all. And I remember that uh, uh, the condor won. The condor was the most efficient at (coughs) getting from point A to point B. And humankind, the the crown of creation, came in with a rather unimpressive showing about a third of the way down the list. So. That didn't look so great. But uh, let me do this over again, because I'm just sure I can say this better. Hmm. (coughs) I remember uh, reading an article when I was about 12 years old. I think it might have been in Scientific American, where they measured the efficiency of locomotion for all these species on planet Earth. Uh, How many kilocalories did they expend to get from point A to point B? And the condor one uh, came in at the top of the list, uh, surpassed everything else. And humans came in about a third of the way down the list, which was not such a great showing for the crown of creation. And, uh, but somebody there had the imagination to test the efficiency of a human riding a bicycle. Human riding a bicycle blew away the condor, all the way off the top of the list. And it, it made a really big impression on me that we humans are tool builders, and that we can fashion tools that amplify these inherent abilities that we have to spectacular magnitudes and so for me a computer has always been a bicycle of the mind uh, something that that takes us far beyond our inherent abilities and uh, I think we're just at the early stages of this tool very early stages and we've come only a very short distance and it's still in its formation but already we've seen enormous changes I think that's nothing compared to what's coming in the next hundred years
0: in, in program six, we're going to look at some of the past predictions of why people have been so wrong about the future. Uh-huh. And one of the notions is, is that today's vision of a standalone computer is just as limited as those past visions of it being only a number cruncher. Uh-huh. What's the difference philosophically between a network machine and a standalone machine?
1: Um, let me answer that question in a slightly different way. <coughs> there have been, if you look at why the majority of people have bought these things so far, Uh, there have been two real explosions that have propelled the industry forward. The first one uh, really happened in 1977, and it was the spreadsheet. I remember when uh, Dan Feilstra, who ran the company that marketed the first spreadsheet, walked into my office at Apple one day and pulled out this disc from his uh, vest pocket and said, "I, I have this incredible new program. I call it a visual calculator, and it became VisiCalc. And that's what really drove, propelled the Apple II to, to, to the success it, it achieved, more than any other single event. And, and with uh, the invention of Lotus 1-2-3, and I think it was 1982, that's what really propelled the IBM PC to the level of success that it achieved. So that was the first explosion, was the spreadsheet. Um, the second major explosion that's driven our, the desktop industry has been desktop publishing.
0: Excuse me. We just lost a light. Let's check the uh, get a break, Chris. Yeah,
1: control, Michael. Okay. When is this going to be broadcast? Next year, sometime?
0: Uh, yeah, 491. Mm-hmm. Co-production with the BBC. Huh. And actually, one part is going to be interesting. I'm going to ask you at the end. Is we're going to dramatize the future, what we guess our future is, because mm-hmm. we've got a dramatic budget in England. Mm. Whatever our guess is, it's going to be wrong. But at least yeah. we want to give people a vision of where things are heading.
1: Mm -hmm. So can I just start off with the second one? Sure. The the, the second really big explosion in our our industry has been desktop publishing. Happened in 1985 with the Macintosh and the LaserWriter printer. And at that point people could start to do on their desktops things that only typesetters and printers could do prior to that. And that's been a very big revolution in publishing. And those have really, those two explosions have been the only two real major revolutions which have caused a lot of people to buy these things and use them. Uh, The third one is starting to happen now. And the third one is, let's do for human to human communication what spreadsheets did for financial planning and what desktop publishing did for publishing. Let's revolutionize it using these desktop devices. And we're already starting to see the signs of that. As an example, in an organization, We're starting to see that as business conditions change faster and faster with each year, uh, we cannot change our management hierarchical organization very fast relative to the changing business conditions. We can't have somebody working for a new boss every week. We also can't change our geographic organization very fast, matter of fact, even slower than the management one. We can't be moving people around the country every week. But we can change an electronic organization like that. And what's starting to happen is as we start to link these computers together with sophisticated networks and great user interfaces, we're starting to be able to create clusters of people working on a common task in a, you know, literally in 15 minutes worth of setup. And these 15 people can work together extremely efficiently no matter where they are geographically and no matter who they work for hierarchically. And these organizations can live for as long as they're needed and then vanish. And we're finding we can reorganize our companies electronically uh, very rapidly. And that's the only type of organization that can begin to keep pace with the changing business conditions. And I believe that this collaborative model has existed in higher education for a long time. But we're starting to see it applied into the commercial world as well. And this is going to be the third major revolution that these desktop computers provide, is revolutionizing human-to-human communication and group work. We call it interpersonal computing. In the 1980s, we did personal computing. uh, And now we're going to extend that as we network these things to interpersonal computing.
0: Thinking, taking the long view now, what was the image of the computer in the mid-1960s, or whenever you first saw one? Mm. And where are we now? What was the? How did the PC enact that change? Right. I um, I first saw my first computer when I was 12.
1: Uh, I first saw. It. I um, I saw my first computer when I was 12, and it was at uh, NASA. We had a local NASA center nearby, and it was a terminal which was connected to a big computer somewhere. And I got a time-sharing account on it, and I was fascinated by this thing. And I saw my second computer a few years later, which was really the first desktop computer ever made was made by Hewlett-Packard it's called the 9100A and it ran a language called basic and it was very large uh, had a very small cathode ray tube on it for display and I got a chance to play with one of those maybe in 1968 or nine and uh, spent every spare moment I had trying to write programs for it I was so fascinated by this Uh, and so I was probably fairly lucky and then my introduction to computers very rapidly moved from a terminal uh, to within maybe twelve months or so actually seeing a, the, one of the first, probably the first, desktop computer ever ever really produ- produced. And uh, so my point of view never really changed from, from being able to get my arms around it even though my arms probably didn't quite fit around that first one. So.
0: What was the role, how have personal computers changed the, the landscape of, of computers. I mean, back then it was centralized power, it was in a mainframe. Now we have three times as much power at the fringe than we have in the center, or mm-hmm. five times as much power. Has it affected that? I'm not the right person to ask. Okay. Um, ask Alan K. Okay. <laughs> uh, We have just about covered it. The only other thought I have is, um, when you were getting started out, I read somewhere that you had no intention of building a company. Mm-hmm. You were just out to do stuff for yourselves. If you can give me... right? I don't know the question they asked to get that, but...
1: Well, at the time we started Apple. Um, Waz was working for Hewlett Packard. I was working for Atari, actually, for Nolan Bushnell designing video games and uh, we, we went to Atari and showed them our early prototypes and we went to HP and we encouraged each company to hire the other one and let us do this for them and we got we got turned down in both places uh, probably for good reasons but uh, we started a company because it was the only alternative left not because we wanted to.
0: When did you ever think that it was going re- this was really going to happen? that this was going to go from just a, an interesting idea to, to
1: Oh, it didn't take very long. It it happened for me when I saw people that could never possibly design a computer, could never possibly build a hardware kit, could never possibly assemble their own keyboards and monitors, could never even write their own software using these things. Then you knew something very big was going to happen. When we'd gotten to that stage where we were high enough on the food chain, if you will, that uh, a lot of people could use these things, and they were really liking it.
0: what's the the goal of the 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 next factory what why is it so automated why is that necessary
1: um... one could go on for a long time about how the u.s. has forgotten about manufacturing which has certainly been true but we're starting to wake up and uh... what we're finding is is that Time to market is very important and quality is very important. And the way we can make tremendous uh, increase in quality and, and reductions in time to market is through automation. So the automation isn't there to lower the cost, although it does do that. It's really there to increase the quality and decrease the time it takes us to get our new product as an example to market, which is very important in a technology-based marketplace. So um, we happen to be the lowest cost producer in the world already at Next of our class of products. We also happen to be one of the highest quality producers of our type of product in the world. And we think for a company to survive, much less prosper in the 90s, that these are going to be very, very important things to be world class at. Uh, We're not competing at the Homebrew Computer Society anymore. We're competing with Europe Inc. and Japan Inc. and IBM Inc. uh, And uh, in order to do that, we really have to be world class manufacturers.
0: What a computer I'm dancing around a bit, just picking up the, the stray ends here. So if they're, they're not very connected, excuse me. What do computer networks offer to education?
1: Well, uh, it, you know, education's been on computer networks for longer than almost anyone else. Uh, the Department of Defense uh, has an office called DARPA, and they funded a thing called uh, ARPANET many, many years ago uh, to try to build a command and control network for military. Uh, Uh, purposes and they did a very brilliant thing. After they got a prototype working they gave it to the university community in America and said bang on this for a while and see if it works and help us make it better and after a few years of the university community doing that they created a separate version uh, for military purposes but they left the uh, educational version going and that has tied together the research community of the United States now for about a decade and uh, is vital to the functioning of higher education in this country. Uh, so higher education has actually led the way. That's why we started off focusing exclusively on higher education, because where else could you find 5,000 people on a network but Carnegie Mellon University, as an example. So higher education has been five years ahead of business in using computers in some of these powerful new ways, which we're going to see now ripple into business in the first half of the 90s. It's pretty exciting.
0: How about lower education? How about school? How about lower um, sharing valuable resources
1: so far, uh, computer use in K through 12 has been primarily Apple II's and uh, I, wish, uh, I wish that uh, they've been upgrading to Macintosh as faster than they have been, but I think, uh, I think that that's slowly happening, and IBM is, is getting in there as well. The primary purpose of computing in K through 12 has been just computer literacy and um, there's been a bottleneck because there hasn't been enough sophisticated courseware written. And that's a problem for our society in general amongst all the other problems with our K-12 education system. One could talk about that for a few days. Easily. So <laughs> Easily. That's, uh...
0: Were you down in Austin to see Bob? Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. And was going to go speak with Jack Kilby and unfortunately he's, he's in the hospital. Ooh. Uh, I think he's. I think he's fine. I think he's back. Um, going back to the Mac, in meeting the deadline for the Mac, how crazy did it get? I mean, you'd already said that you were going to have this big splash at the Super Bowl. Um.
1: Actually, we'd wanted to get the Mac out a year before we did, so we had internal deadlines uh, that we were not able to meet but by the time we set, uh, by the time we bought the spots for the Super Bowl and things like that, I mean, it was basically in the bag. It's not that we didn't work 24 hours a day for the last six months to get it out
0: but um, we were on the bomb run at that time. I, I love this, this, I don't want to call it a gesture, this thing that you did which is have everybody sign the cases, that was yeah. great. What was, well, why did you do that? For,
1: um, because the people that worked on it consider themselves and i certainly consider them artists these are the people that under under different circumstances would be painters and poets but because of the, that time that we live in this new medium has appeared uh... in which to express oneself to one's fellow species and that's a medium of computing. and um, so a lot of people that would have been artists and scientists have gone into this field uh... To express their, their feeling, and um, so it, it seemed like a,
0: the right thing to do. What was it like when you announced at the shareholders' meeting?
1: Oh wow! It was. Uh, well, I got the, the first few rows had all the people that worked on the Mac. About a hundred people, hundred fifty people that really made it happen uh, were all seated in the first few rows. And when when it was introduced, uh, after we went through it all and had the computer speak to people itself and things like that. Uh, the whole auditorium of about 2,500 people gave it a standing ovation and uh, uh, the whole first few rows of Mac folks were all just crying. Every, all of us were just I was biting my tongue very hard because I had a little bit more to do. But uh, it was a very very emotional moment because it was no longer ours. From that day forward it was no longer ours. We couldn't change it. If we had a good idea the following day it was too late. It was it belonged to the world at that point in time.
0: I should probably get going. Yeah, yeah, I'm just thinking a, a couple of, let's do the kickers then. Okay, these are the, the 15 seconds at the beginning of the show to grab people's attention. So program three, we're going from semiconductors to the uh, the growth and establishment of the computer industry. Uh So what did you accomplish? What did you set out to do, and what did you do?
1: Well, I think maybe something different along the lines of what you want is um, the, the semiconductor people didn't know what they had in the microprocessor for two or three years. It was the computer hobbyists that really got the idea to make this into a computer rather than a calculator.
0: We got to build a com- company or change the world?
1: Uh, when we started Apple, we were out to build computers for our friends. That was all. No idea of a company.
0: How important is a user interface in the design of a computer? Turn that into your own words.
1: Well, the whole idea of the Macintosh was a computer for people who want to use a computer rather than learn how to use a
0: computer. So, one way we've been playing with it is it's not how it does it, but what it does. I don't know if that's any good. In other words, I don't care how it does it anymore. I just right. wanted to do what I wanted to do.
1: Right. There is a quote in uh, an interview that was done with me in Playboy a while ago, where I. I uh, I gave a Macintosh to a young kid one time, Was uh, actually Sean Lennon, at his birthday, and uh, he had a great quote, he said, uh, he said, everyone else, and I guess I said this, actually.
0: (laughs) Oh, I think I remember, this is older people and younger people.
1: Yeah, right, Right. the older people all want to know how it does what it does, but the young people just want to know what it can do.
0: Okay, wrap that up into um, Is you the the the, the gra- graphical interface or the, the the trend the the line that we're going? How about this? Where are we in the evolution of the user interface, and where are we going? Is that a short one? Um, I don't know that there is a short one, <laughs> but yeah.
1: Wh- I, th- this whole discussion about user mm-hmm. interface is just. Strange to me because to me it's just sort of a natural thing that had to happen, did happen, and it's happened. It's kind of like automatic transmissions. Um, well, in a history series, though, the same as that, but.
0: in a history series, though, there isn't an, uh, an evolutionary line, so that's why we're following. Uh-huh. It. I mean, a lot of people don't know about Doug Engelbart, right? For example. Right. Um, okay. Uh, networking. Why is networking important? Why is it the future?
1: Well. W- in the 90s, we're going to revolutionize human-to-human communication using these desktop computers in the same way that spreadsheets revolutionized financial modeling and that desktop publishing revolutionized publishing. Great. Okay, good. Anything Thanks. we
0: haven't covered? No, i got to go. This is great. Thank, Thank you me. very much. Three times as much power at the fringe than we have in the center, or mm-hmm. five times as much power, depending on what statistics. Well, what, what, how did the PC change the world? Well,
1: though the analogy is nowhere perfect um and and certainly uh one needs to factor out the environmental concerns of the of the analogy as well uh there is a lot to be said for comparing it to going from trains from passenger trains to automobiles and uh the advent of the automobile gave us a personal freedom of transportation in the same way uh, the advent of the computer gave us the ability to start to use computers without having to convince other people that we needed to use computers. And the biggest effect of the personal computer revolution has been to um, allow millions and millions of people to experience computers themselves uh, decades before they ever would have in the old paradigm, and to allow them to uh, participate in the making of choices and controlling their own destiny using these tools, but it has created uh, it has created problems, and the largest problems are that uh, now that we have all these very powerful tools, we're still islands, and we're still not really connecting these people using these powerful tools together. And that's really been the challenge of the last few years and the next several years, is how to connect these things back together so that we can, can rebuild a fabric of these things rather than just individual points of light, if you will, and um, get the benefit of both the passenger train and the automobile. So.
0: Mm-hmm. What's the vision behind the next machine? We've already covered this a little bit. But.
1: Yeah, the... Everything that, uh, that we've done in our, well, what's the right way to say this? Everything I've done with computers in my life has been along pretty much a single vector. Uh, and, and next is, is just one more point on that same vector. Uh, in this case, what we, we observed was that the computing power we could give to an individual was an order of magnitude more than the PCs were giving. Uh, in the sense that people want to do many things at once and you really need true multitasking. We really did want to um, start to network these things together in very sophisticated networks so the technology to build that in became available. And most important, we saw a way to build a software system that was about ten times as powerful than any PC and where new software could be created in a fourth of the time. So we spent four years with uh, 50 to 100 of the best software people we could find building this new software system. And it's turned out beautifully.
0: What's the vision behind Next? Um,
1: It's not so much different than everything I've ever done in my life with computers, starting with the Apple II and Macintosh and and now Next, which is if you uh, believe that these are the most incredible tools we've ever built, which I do, then the more powerful tool we can give to people, the more they can do with it. And in this case, uh, we we found a way to do two or three things that were real breakthroughs. Number one was to put a much more powerful computer in front of people for about the same price as a PC. The second was to integrate that networking into the computer so we can begin to make this next revolution with interpersonal computing. And, And the PCs so far have not been able to do that very well. And the third thing, and maybe the most important was to create a whole new software architecture from the ground up that lets us build these new types of applications and lets them let us lets us build them in 25 percent of the time that it normally takes to do on a PC. So uh, we spent uh, four years with 50 to 100 of the best software people that I know, creating a whole new software platform from the ground up. And the way our industry works is that you create this platform software first, and then you go out and you get people to write new applications on top of it. Well, the the height that these new applications can soar is is enabled or limited by the platform software. And there's only even three systems that have ever been successful in the whole history of desktop computing. That was the Apple II's platform software, of which there wasn't too much, uh, the IBM PC, and Macintosh. So we're attempting to create the fourth Platform software standard, and hopefully we'll succeed because it will allow these applications to be written, which far, far, exceed in capacity what can be done in today's machines.
0: Okay. Based. Uh What happens when you have a network that allows the relative minorities in a whole different area come together? How does that change the democracy? I don't know. Okay.
1: But, but what I have seen is I've seen interpersonal computing happening at our own company. Uh, maybe the best way to put it is... Um, I remember when the first spreadsheet came out, I saw it fly through Apple as well as other companies. And when we, uh, when we invented desktop publishing, of course, it influenced Apple first. And I've seen the same thing happen with interpersonal computing here at Next. We decided to put a Next machine on every employee's desktop about 18 months ago and connect them with you know, the very high-speed networking that's built in. And I've seen the revolution here with my own eyes and it, it's actually larger than the first two. Let me give you some examples. Uh, if we want to, uh, if we're going to be doing uh, a special project, let's say, with a company, and we and let's say the company's called... Um, what's, your, what's your... WGBH. T- WGBH. We're going to do, be doing a special project with WGBH, and what we'll do is we'll create a, a special mailbox, WGBH, and we'll put 20 people on it that are going to be helping on this project. Now, these 20 people, will be from all over our company, from marketing, from sales, from engineering, some from manufacturing, maybe some from our Boston office so they can be close by. And uh, if one sends a message to this mailbox, they'll all get it like that instantly. And if uh, one sends a reply, they'll copy the whole mailbox on it so the rest of the the team members get to read uh, the intellectual content going back and forth. And everyone in this uh, mailbox will probably get around 30 mail messages a day. And they'll spend about 20 minutes, 30 minutes reading these and answering these per day. And it'll be like a beehive. Now, this project's very important for our company, and I want to make sure it's getting off right. So I'll put my own name on this mailbox, and I'll see these 30 mail messages fly by, all of the disagreements and the arguments.